0: Welcome to The Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. This week, our hosts, Dr. Lynn and Serene Musselman are joined by Tammy Melchie. Tammy is a teaching pastor who is passionate about helping people take next steps with Jesus. She has served on the staff at Community Christian Church in the Chicagoland area for over 20 years, most recently as the leader of the teaching team. Community is a church with multiple online and in-person expressions based in the Chicago area, and Tammy regularly teaches at both Community's online expression and at its various campus locations. Hi, Tammy. It's so nice to meet you. I'm really
1: excited for our conversation.
2: I am, too. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's great to yeah. finally see you face to face.
1: That's right. That's right. This is this is a um, exciting time for me to hear from someone who's had decades of experience right there and kind of as a pastoral role in the front lines. And uh, so mm-hmm. I know Serene and I have just lots of questions uh, to ask you. So thanks so much for joining us.
0: Oh, so glad to be here. Yeah, Tammy, you and I met last year, and mm-hmm. since then, we've had a chance to talk, and I've heard a bit about your journey into ministry, which I'm really excited for our listeners to hear today as well. And I love that um, among your many gifts, you are a teaching pastor, but from what I hear, that wasn't always the original dream, <laughs> <laughs> the original dream. included uh, a goal of becoming a professional basketball player is that right yes yes I'm dating myself here
2: but I wanted to be Magic Johnson yeah
0: that's awesome (laughs) I love it so how did you go from wanting to be Magic Johnson to where you're at in ministry now how did you first start to discern that calling into ministry
2: well, it's interesting because in some ways, a lot of times people talk about their, you know, their path or their dream or what was their five-year, 10-year plan. I feel like I've stumbled into every step of my my path. And part of that was there wasn't really a roadmap for it, I think. You know, again, I'm a little bit older than you, Serene, so I'm around a little bit while. And, and back when I was growing up, I, I really didn't have models of women in leadership ministry and professional ministry at all in fact the the church i grew up in um you know i never saw women in visible roles never saw women i mean we had women that had like they called them deaconesses but -hmm. i'm not sure what they ever did because none of it was visible even (laughs) even to the point where i never saw a woman pass a communion plate in the service Mm -hmm. thing so there was just not you know visible um women women in, in front of me in ministry settings, um, where I did feel this call, um, to leadership was in every other arena. I I was an athlete and, you know, captained almost every team I was on, you know, in school, being on student councils and different teachers calling stuff out of me. It actually wasn't until I went to college and I went to a large public university, um, and I went to study math and computer education uh, to be a teacher and coach basketball. But when I got to this university, again, because I had such a, a passion and a heart for Jesus, the first thing I did was found a campus ministry to be a part of. Hmm. And I, I I went to this campus ministry and the guy who was leading it, his name was Steve. Almost from the minute I walked through the door, he began to identify leadership in me and call me into to opportunities to use these gifts that I had used in these other arenas, but never, like it never even dawned on me <laughs> that somehow th- those gifts and my passion for Jesus could come together in this way. And so yeah. it wasn't until, um, and not only did Steve call that out in me, he also was super intentional at that time, this this group of campus ministries I was a part of um, nationally, there were only two women serving vocationally in camp in that group of campus ministries, but he was super intentional about taking me and some others to a student leadership conference where he introduced me to the two of them. Because I think he knew you need a model in front of you of what this looks like. And one of them, Laura, became a mentor in my life. You know, even when I was a college student, she invited me to come where she lived and follow her around and see what she did. And so uh, that's really what began to gave me give me a vision that maybe math and computer science wasn't the path but it was going to be <laughs> on after all
0: that's such an incredible story and i mean i have to say there's this joke in churches about the pastor count but you actually have a degree in, that relates to math so no pastor <laughs> count for you <laughs> <laughs> Um but, you yeah, know, I
2: don't I don't overestimate those numbers because I'm a mathematician that's at all. That's
0: heart. right. We know the uh, numbers are always accurate. <laughs>
1: that's right. Yeah. I I uh, when I was in college, I thought I'd be uh, elementary education. And so yeah. part of that was I took elementary uh, math, like teaching for element ma- teaching math for elementary students, but then I switched my major and went into religious studies, which sort of meant that maybe I was gonna have to take a real math class, but fortunately they They said I didn't have to. So you got (laughs) math is like at maybe a sixth grade, maybe eighth grade level. I don't know. That's funny. That's why we have calculators, you know. You
2: know, it's interesting to me, though, looking back on that, even I think there was something in me, you know, I mean, I picked math because it was a subject I liked, but the goal was to be a teacher. Because I think even then I knew that there was something about standing up in front of a group of people and explaining things to them that I was passionate about. I just didn't know I could do that about Jesus.
0: Mm, that's so good. Yeah. And how interesting that your gifts were being called out and celebrated in so many other arenas, but not so much in your particular church context. And mm-hmm. so, just the power of that first conversation where Steve has spoke into you and called those things out is amazing. Uh, and it also points to the importance of what we see modeled. And you, mm-hmm. you mentioned that. And so tell us a little, I'd like to hear you say a bit more about that. What were some of the examples that you did see or even narratives that you heard about women in ministry as you were growing up? What what themes were you seeing?
2: Um, well, I mean, I was seeing my mom and interesting enough. Before I was born, my mom, actually, the, the way my parents met was my dad was at this church and this church called my mom to be the Christian education director. Mm-hmm. So she was actually on staff at the church, again, before I was in existence, <laughs> and for, you know, birth through college, which was always interesting. It's interesting to me looking back because by the time I, you know, grew up, I could not imagine my church hiring a woman on staff. And I, I've always just wondered, like, how did that happen and how could I not imagine that? And it's interesting. It's even just been in the last few years some, through some of the, you know, some of the writings that historians and like, uh, you know, Jesus and John Wayne, <laughs> the making mm-hmm. of biblical womanhood and some of those things that have come out that I've started to, to wonder if part of the narrative there was, you know, my mom was on staff and, you know, that was something totally normal. But then in this in this reaction to feminism, mm-hmm. uh, the tide might have turned on that, to the point where little Tammy was growing up. It was inconceivable that there mm-hmm. would be a woman on the staff in the same church. And, yes. and I don't know if that's the story, but but it's part of what's helping me make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like, you know, but my mom always had that. She always had that ministry heart. And so I grew up seeing, you know, women coming over to our house that my mom would disciple and, and mentor. And um, I mean, even I feel like every pastor we ever had looked to my mom for wise counsel and stuff like that. It's just that when we got inside the walls of that, that church, there, you know, there was when I, again, I don't know, they might have had a bigger role than this, but when I think of the deaconesses, The only thing I can remember doing is they were the ones in charge of cutting up the little squares of bread and pouring the cups for communion. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't remember them doing anything that was that was visible. Um, And so, yeah, I I just feel like there, there just wasn't there. There weren't models of a lot of that.
0: That really comes out even when we read the Bible. You know, we've talked to some guests here on the podcast recently, even as we look at the stories of women in the Bible, sometimes we can miss because it can just happen in a single sentence yeah. that points yeah. out what a woman was doing, but it's easy to, to miss it because it may not be as visible. So I think that's so important to point out even in our current day context as well. And Absolutely. That, so, That brings us to the current, Uh, you know, I've gotten to know you just in where you're at in your journey in this current season, Um, and so I'd love to hear a little bit about what has brought you to where you're at now. What has your journey looked like in more recent years?
2: Well, in more recent years, um, I mean, this has gone back a little bit, but I really how I ended up in the role I have now, which I lead the teaching team here at Community Christian Church, is um, it's been about... I guess it's about 10 12 years now. Wow, I've been here a long time. It's been a while back where I um some of the some of the guys on our staff started talking to me I, I knew that I had a next step to take, but I wasn't sure what it was, and they were encouraging me to consider being a campus pastor. And um I had a you know, I ha- I'm single, I've never been married, and I had a hard time imagining myself, you know, at the time I'm in Naperville, which if you know anything about Naperville, you know it always makes the The list for the top places to raise your families and it was hard for me to envision myself pastoring a congregation there but then i began to think about the city of chicago and where you know i was more the the norm of the demographic in a lot of those neighborhoods and so i i took this step to to actually move to the city and i um i was the founding campus pastor of one of our locations there in the city um but interesting it was you know it if I had not taken that step, which I don't think ended up being, like, the best long-term role for me. Hmm. Um, I'm an Enneagram 5, and so it was a little bit tiring. Um, but if I hadn't taken that step, I would have never had the opportunity to teach regularly on a Sunday morning. Hmm. And, and you know, again, because that just wasn't, like I say, I feel like I stumbled my way into my giftedness I, I think I've always had teaching gifts, but that was never really an avenue open to me, and mm-hmm. maybe one I didn't even know to pursue um, but doing that every almost every Sunday as I was pastoring this congregation, um all of a sudden i I just began to discover, wait a minute, maybe this is actually my primary giftedness at this at this time and so when the uh person that had led the teaching team here at community for Uh, Almost two decades, uh, decided to step out of that role. Um, The leadership of community invited me to step into it, and um, it was a little bit scary. A little bit, am I really qualified for this? Um, But
1: tell us um, a little bit about what this is. What is a teaching pastor, or whatever the? I'm sorry if I'm yeah. Well, we we
2: have we we have really a a uh, communal way (laughs) that we do. Messages here at community. We're a, we're a multi-site church plus we have an online expression, and um, so we have right now we have seven locations plus our online expression. Um, but unlike a lot of other multi-site churches like this, we actually do primarily in-person teaching at every one of those sites. But again, what what seems unique to us is that um, at every one of those sites, even though it's an in-person teacher, we're all teaching the same basic message. And so what I do is, is I, I kind of, I lead the team that crafts in a, in a collaborative way, crafts those messages together that we all then are going to be giving. And, um, but, but, uh, Dave Ferguson, our lead pastor, John Ferguson, his brother, our founding pastor, they really have entrusted me with the the vision and the direction of the teaching ministry. So really from the start of, I mean, I do, a, again, everything's collaborative. So I'll do a lot of like getting ideas and hearing from our staff about what what people are wrestling with, what needs they have, um, also what we just think that we need to be teaching. Um, but really from the start of the genesis of an idea, I am setting the direction of the the series that we do and the messages that we teach and kind of the, the structure of that stuff, but then bringing together people that will brainstorm the individual messages and, and contribute to writing them and then delivering them.
1: Hopefully Thanks that'll for, make sense. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> incredibly exciting and a, and a phenomenal, really a phenomenal model that I think highlights aspects of the New Testament being the body of Christ and collaborating together that even at that central level of the pastors getting together. That's, um, they're modeling that cooperation that we're called to do in, yeah. in our everyday life. And, and
2: I love it because I feel like even in in the role, like I I get to know the people on our team well enough that, that I know, okay, this person is going to be really good at this message because this is a passion area of them. It, but also what it's allowed, allowed us to do is, uh, for example, anytime we do a message series on, you know, whether it's marriage or parenting or, you know, there's things like that, you know, back in the day, it's, it's probably, you know, one or two guys sitting down right. <laughs> but, but right. even when we have it now, now, thankfully we have enough women on our team that it's easy for me to divide it up. But even when I first started in this role and I was the only woman, I would like, I would look for people on our staff or in our church who I knew had, some form of writing or teaching gift. And I would always make sure on every one of those messages that I had a man and a woman writing it together. Or, you know, when we have a message that has a justice focus, I'll ask the person on our staff that has, you know, leads our compassion and justice ministry to co-write. And so I feel like we're able to pull from the body the best of everything to make what we're doing really the, a message of our community, not just the message of one person.
0: That's so good, Tammy. And in just a few minutes, I want to dive into that a little bit more because I think for some of our listeners that are writing and preparing messages every week, there may be some nuggets from this process that could be a benefit to even their context. So I want to come back to that and, and dive back into it in just a few moments Um uh, but before we move on from your personal story you were you were sharing just some of the observations that you've had over the course of your journey and as you talked about even just now how you've seen our teaching team grow from you being the only woman contributing mm-hmm. to where we're at now what are some what are some themes that you're you've noticed and things that you're seeing even um in this current season, in the in the larger church, not just at community, but where have you seen growth in how we celebrate women's gifts, and then also what are some of the challenges that you think we're still facing?
2: Sure. Um, well, again, as someone that has been around for a while, I think I think there's definitely a noticeable increase of women in in ministry, and I just rejoice over that because they're you know even when I mention this campus ministry I was a part of that when I stepped in, there were two women. I had lunch a couple of weeks ago with the woman that actually replaced me in campus ministry. And she said the last gathering of all the campus ministers in that particular group, there were more women than men. Wow. And, That's yeah. Awesome. And so to see that and see like so many more women having the opportunity to use their gifts um, is so encouraging to me. I think um, another thing in the growth is is And again, I, I feel like this is probably part of the product of once you have models and you get a vision, um, there are so many younger women like you, Serene, like uh, other women on our staff, like Carrie Lattiser, uh, some of you guys probably know Tara Beth Leach. And, you know, I just look at these younger women that, that are coming up and, and in some ways I, they're challenging me because I feel like I feel like my generation a little bit we had to tiptoe our way around it into things and navigate things without rocking the boat too much and I love the boldness of some of the younger women coming mm-hmm. in and and I feel like in some ways they just have an ex- expectation that of course they should get to use their gifts. Now, I'm not saying they don't run into challenges. I know I know that they do, but um, but I, I love the the even the mindset, the framework of my like changing in that. So, I mean, I, th- I just see a lot of hope for that, a lot of and, and we've seen it on our own staff too the number of women in different roles increasing and all that. So that's been super encouraging. Um, some of the challenges, I would say, I was reminded a couple of weeks ago I was in Nashville and I I uh, met with. Uh, one of our former staff members, one of our former pastors, who's now leading a church down there, and uh, he is an egalitarian in a very not setting, and and just um, you know, he was sharing about just how easy it is for him to step on landmines everywhere, mm-hmm. and it and it made me realize, like even within his own church, and it it just made me realize, okay, you know, here in the Chicago area, or maybe in the circles I'm in, we're seeing a lot of growth in that, but yet there are so many places where uh, what most of the women are and young girls are experiencing is what I grew up in. And, And so, you know, that is still something, it just breaks my heart because I think of, you know, part of, I just think of how, how much giftedness and how much impact for the kingdom is sitting there and it is not permitted to be brought in, you know, to flourish. Um, and even it, like many of those women don't even have a vision for it. Like I didn't have a vision for it growing up. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, 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 it was just a good reminder to me that even though my, my little world here feels like it's made a lot of progress there, there's other, um, other places. And I also, I also think women are still underrepresented in senior leadership roles. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of that is maybe not having the opportunities when they were younger mm-hmm. and uh, which makes that road higher, um, harder. But um, but also sometimes I think. Um, and i would be interesting to hear if this is your experience, Lynn, too. I, I think that the the hurdles for women are higher. Yes. you moving into senior leadership roles and. Yeah. Uh, again, I absolutely love this place that I am. I love community. I'm committed to this. But when I think about when I started and some of the men that started the same time I did, who, you know, I know I can't be objective, but I think my gifts were on par with theirs. Their journey to senior leadership was like rocket. Like they just rocketed it to. whereas mine took like a decade and a half.
1: Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I think the not only are the hurdles higher um but our concept of what a leader is doesn't match with how women and i would i would say that in my context in part i had a similar experience growing up in certain um in certain ways um not seeing women in leadership roles so it's not just that we don't see people it's that people don't see women yes in leadership yeah. roles and so I, uh, you know, what, what is, what's a good leader? Well, they, um, they, they typically don't have my frame and I, I would never be a basketball player. Let me just say that we're all <laughs> sitting down, but if we stand up, I always we yeah, get like, six foot high school gym, you know, it's just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Basketball again. Okay. Time for Linda get bloody nose from her normal heights friends. Um, <laughs> But but also my my voice is higher, you know. There's just I I don't the the um when people think well even in the in the uh, ancient Israel you know they picked Saul because he was tall and handsome you know I mean we all we go for that for um for our leaders and so I think there's uh we have to you keep using the word like imagine which I love we have to think about leadership qualities that are packaged in different ways. Um, so decisiveness in a woman can seem like bossiness, you know, Mm -hmm. or you are, I love that you're so collaborative, but some people would see that as not taking ownership. Do you see what I mean? Like there's just a lot of the, the skills that women bring to leadership that society has helped them develop are actually really good for the health of the community, but they're not labeled as leadership. And so that also, I think is a, yeah, real barrier.
2: And sometimes it can it can seem like when we're looking at men, we're seeing the reasons why they should be a leader. And when people look at women, they start thinking about the reasons why they shouldn't. And that's where that's where some of the the barriers are higher. And I have a, a story growing up um that I remember there was a woman in my church that was actually nominated for one of these like mysterious deaconesses roles that I don't know what they were. Um But I remember I was about five years old and I'm at this business meeting in the basement of the church next to my mom and her nomination came and there was a man in the church who stood up and went into this lengthy, kind of very matter of fact, but forceful um, explanation of why she should not be a leader. And his reasoning was that she was divorced but all of us sitting in the room knew the story that this poor young woman had come home years earlier to find her husband in bed with another woman, and her world was shattered, and so you know, a number of years before she had to figure out how to pick up her life and start over, and so she moved states, moved to our city, came to our church, was an you know integral part of our church. And to the point where someone had nominated her for this leadership position and, you know, and, and like she ended up, nobody stood up to this guy. And so she was denied the opportunity to step into leadership for something that wasn't even like something she did.
1: No, it was something that
2: had been done to her. Yes. And it was like, oh my goodness. And yet, you know, you look at, I mean, in our world today. How many men that we have seen, it is something they did. But yet somehow, after a short period of time, they can be restored set <laughs> back into leadership. It's just sometimes my head is just spinning from what actually are we identifying as as what qualifies somebody for leadership?
1: And, and so I and, you know,
2: long story short, I think I think the the bar is often higher for women.
1: Yeah. And and I think the in the example that you used, how sad it is that no one called him out on that. Mm-hmm. But I but I can appreciate at times when you're in a group like that, you might be thinking, oh, that doesn't really make sense. I bet that guy's just sexist. But you're kind of nervous to say it. Uh, but but that that it, that's a sexist remark. I mean, it yeah. has, you know, and that was used um or they'll use other excuses. And I've had that in my own life of excuses of, well, you didn't come to these three meetings, so you can't uh, be a part of this. Like, well, I told you I, I had other obligations in the church. Well, but still we can't. You know, they just, they throw up stuff that um, aren't real to try and discourage yeah, That's women. what I'm saying. Sometimes yeah. it's
2: like reasons why not.
1: Exactly. Where we don't,
2: we don't, you know, a lot of times when we're looking at a man, it's the reasons why I should
1: exactly right. Oh,
2: so, again, not always, but I but I think that's a, it's just been a pattern that I've seen over the years.
1: Well, yes, and in that in that experience, you being so young, what did you learn from that? You learned people aren't going to stand up for women that are in that situation and I uh and those are all good people. I don't mean to disparage any of them there in the church meeting, but but when something like that happens, it shuts up a lot of people it's not just about that woman it becomes about the the whole group I mean it certainly is oh, terrible absolutely for her, but, you know it's it extends far beyond that and I think at times we we just isolate like oh that was just between that man and that woman but no no mm-hmm. that sent a message the church sent a message to you that lingered for you know a decade or more
2: yeah one of my one of my biggest wishes in life is I could go back to that five-year-old me and speak up <laughs> <laughs>
0: But now you get to share the story today, and I think that yes, that's, that's the true. like the redemption in that story a bit. But there, but there were so many different narratives that were being heard in that moment mm-hmm. of for that woman individually of what her future could look like, and for her calling mm-hmm. to any other women in the room that might have been considering um, stepping into leadership gifts. To five-year-old Tammy, who was sitting there taking it in, you know, there was it it had an, a lasting impact, and so. Yeah. It's good to share these stories so that we can, I think, take steps into this new future, this new imagination. Even as we're using the word imagination of having a vision for what it could look like, um, in a in a fuller expression of women using their gifts. So, I think for women that are listening, um, you've you've mentioned a couple of different scenarios which I think could resonate with many of us. Whether it's being um, the first, like the first woman at the table, the first woman to occupy a role that has only previously been held by men, even being in context, as you mentioned, where, you know, for some of us, we're in churches now or we're in uh, schools or we're in different contexts where women are being given more opportunities to flourish, but there are still many spaces where that's not happening. And so to those people that might be listening that find themselves in those kinds of spaces, what word of encouragement would you share with them and as they are trying to take these steps of faithfulness in their calling
2: for women that are in ministry already or trying to or
0: women that are in those roles currently or trying to take steps into it and maybe they don't have that model or that vision or they find themselves being the first in that role uh, it can be kind of a lonely place to be so would you have any words of encouragement for them Sure. I think, I
2: mean, so, some of this, some of this might be um, what you would expect me to say. <laughs> I think it's important is, is that you have to have a support system. And I have found that, um, like even, you know, you talk about being the first and something. So when I did step onto our senior leadership uh, team here at Community You know, I knew I was going to, you know, it was another experience where I was going to be the only woman stepping into something. And I knew these guys really well. I mean, they're like brothers to me in some ways, Um, but also knew that, you know, it's going to be it's going to feel like I'm the only woman in the room sometime because I was the only woman in the room. And one of the things I was really intentional about at the beginning was I actually invited Two women that, that I knew, like, knew me and loved me, but also could be vaults, like, of anything that I wanted to share. One was actually the, the mom of one of my friends, and I asked her to be a spiritual director in my life. And the other one is a friend of mine. She's actually a few years younger than me, but I, she's a prayer warrior, and I asked her to be my prayer pastor. And I knew that I had these two women that when I walked through the frustrations of things or even when, you know, we're wrestling with things that that I could go to that um, both of them, I mean, in my ministry over these last five years, both of them have even taken days to pray and fast for me when there were certain things that were going on. And that like having that has been invaluable to me. Just a sense of even though I might be alone in the room, I'm not alone in terms of people that look at life the way that that I think, you know, only women do. And so that that's been critical to me to have a support system. Um, I think also one of the things over the decades of, of um, ministry for me that I, I have increasingly recognized is you need to know yourself on a deeper and deeper level so that you can show up in those spaces as you. Because the reality is it's you that's needed in those spaces, it's the unique perspective, it's the unique way of you know forms of leadership, of style of leadership, that's what's needed in those spaces. And when you're the only one or one of the only few or the first walking into that, uh, you can feel this incredible pressure to conform or maybe to shrink yourself in some ways. And, and um, I think coming to know yourself on a deeper and deeper level, who you are, what you are supposed to be bringing into those rooms is critical. It's critical for you to be able to show up that way. And so whatever it takes for that, um, counseling, you know, spiritual direction. Um, I know some of us are fans of the Enneagram. I feel like that has helped understand so much. Like for me, that's why I knew, oh, this is why I was exhausted being a campus pastor. (laughs) I don't like people that, no, I'm just kidding. I love people. (laughs) Um, But knowing yourself so that you know what it is that you're supposed to bring into those spaces, I think is, is absolutely critical. Um, but the last thing I'll mention, and this is maybe for more of the women that are where I'm at right now, and, um, I over the last couple of years, I had to, I had to come to this also realization that, you know, what those of us that have been more the early kind of adopters of all of this stuff, that you don't have to carry the baton forever. And uh how that played out for me was like I said, I've been serving on this executive leadership team, but realized that um It really wasn't in line with what I feel like is the the most important contribution that I'm supposed to be making right now to our church and to the kingdom. It's not, you know, managing a large organization was not my primary passion, but it took me a while to accept that, that maybe I didn't want to be on this executive leadership team because I felt like, but I'm the only woman on this executive leadership team. And so I almost felt like I had to come to this place of peace of like, okay, I, I don't have to carry the baton forever. And in fact, I'm thrilled that in stepping off, it forced some conversations about some changes and we need to make. And now there's another younger women woman that has stepped into that team and which just thrills me. And so uh, those of us that have felt like for so long, we have to be pushing these barriers it's also okay, probably at some point to go okay what is what is it that God most wants me to do in this next season, and I'm going to give myself to that and let some of the younger women come up behind. Mm.
0: That's and really the the willingness to ask that question really I think, reflects something that's at work in us and and god's how he's shaping our hearts and mm-hmm. our minds and our in, in that moment, because I think something that you're pointing out there that stands out to me is that as women, when when the seats at the table are already limited, it can feel really scary to say no or to step out of that seat Mm -hmm. when it's clear that that season has changed as what you're describing in your own story. There's like a fear, I think, and at least to my perspective, there can be fear in giving up that seat when it already seems like the, the seats are so few. Yeah. Um, or I, I
2: honestly felt a little bit like I don't want to let all the other women on staff down. Mm,
0: you know, and yeah. that's where I just had to be like, you know what? It's OK.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's OK. Yep, exactly. And that I mean, that points to another thing that I've heard women say that sometimes as women in leadership, we feel like we if we are the first or the only. It's as if we are representing all of women mm-hmm. in leadership every time we speak or lead. So. I think you're pulling out some um, really important aspects of of what the reality looks like for for those of us in these spaces. So um, I'm so grateful that you, uh, even in the piece of advice that you shared a moment ago, that you have shown up fully as yourself. And I promised our listeners that we would go back to our process for our teaching team. And I think that that's one of the spaces where we as a church have really benefited from your willingness to show up in the fullness of who you are in your gifts, because the richness of our teaching and this collaborative process um, come out of what you bring to the table and how you've shaped that team. And so I'd love to share anything that might be helpful to those of us that um, are who might be listening today who are writing and preparing messages often solo each week. Um, what have you learned from this collaborative approach that might be helpful that we could take back into our own churches?
2: Sure. Well, there's one key principle behind it that I think then you can figure out how to flesh out in any context. And that key principle is just we're better together. Hmm. I mean, just believing that that we're better together then opens the possibility of, okay, in my context, what does it look like to be together then? And so, you know, I realize that the majority of, of people writing messages are that, you know, we have a relatively larger staff and so there's a built-in collaboration but a lot of people aren't in that that situation. but yet you can still look at your message writing process and um, and again, I, I believe that in every church there are people that have gifts that could be a, a blessing and an asset to the teaching ministry of the church, even if they're never going to be the people that stand on the stage and deliver a message. And so you might have someone in your church who is just a creative brainstormer. So what does it look like when you know the scripture and the the basic direction that you want to take a message to to go out to coffee with a couple of those people and say, hey, help me brainstorm a little bit on this before I get down to really writing my sermon? Um, Or... One of the things we do in our process is after we we write the we manuscript our our messages after we write the first draft, all the writers on that series come back together and we read them out loud to each other and give feedback which informs the editing process and so what if you write the first draft of your message, but you have someone who would love to help you make it better and so you get together, you read it to them and you get their feedback and what didn't make sense. What, what, you know, where, where am I getting bogged down that you lost me or whatever they might bring to that. Um, you could, you probably have some subject experts in your, in your church, De- depending on the topic you're talking about there. There's probably people that have even more experience than you to speak into some of those things. And so how could you maybe reach out to them when there's a particular message that you're giving that, that they might be able to add something to, um, or, or even inviting them. I've, I've had, I've invited people to co-write who aren't even on staff. And, and again, when it's two people doing that, there's a little bit of a safety net in it. But, but just think about there, there are people probably sitting in every church who have these types of gifts and passions And these are the areas of ministry we almost never invite them into. Like we invite them to to lead in children's ministry or to usher a service. But there are people that this would just light a fire under them. Um, Some people that maybe even just doing research for you would, would light a fire under them to be able to contribute some quotes or stories or ideas. Um, from stuff. So I think even if you're not in a context where you have a whole team that way, maybe look at the gifts of the people that are, that are among you and, and start again, our word imagine, start maybe imagining some different ways for people to contribute in the church than maybe just the, the ministry roles that we typically put them in.
0: I love that. And I think what you're getting out there too, is even how do we connect What I think we probably would all believe, which is that we all have gifts. We all have something to contribute into our actual praxis. Like, how does that play out in the church? What does that look like in action? And that's something you and I have actually talked about previously, is what does it look like for our beliefs, our theology to connect to our praxis? And so I actually have a question for you and Lynn. Um, that deals with this topic. Um, I've heard that it can take decades for ideas and research to make it from the academy to the church. And so, what we come to believe the research that we have, the, the ideas that are coming to the forefront how do we build bridges between that and then our actual practices in the church, whether it be through our study, through our writing, through our teaching, through our team building? Uh, through our empowering of women in these roles, like we've been talking about today, how do we begin to build those bridges? Tammy, do you want to start for us? I don't know. That sounds like an academic question to me.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, that was a very nice handoff, the passing the baton there, Tammy. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Um, no, I. But it is a fabulous question, Serene. It certainly is. Um, I. I think the what has. Um, captured the academy for decades now is this idea that you move, uh, inductively, you have this theory and you need to prove it. And so the way you do that is you do deep dive research into other people's position and you footnote all of that. And you have to come up with, to make it worthwhile, a new idea you've added to the sum total of knowledge in some particular way, but it, it's almost like, you know, I, I would think of like the, uh, people who do, uh, chemistry experiments in working on new drugs for humans, you know, or something where it's, it, it is so, um, it, it's at, it's at that abstract level and you're, you know, that you're doing a good job. The more abstract it is, the more people you cite the the fact that you're adding to knowledge but when you then say okay how can i how can i help the church well then the issue is not how new is it but how practical it is right and and the issue is not how many footnotes do i have but is this person actually thriving because of the idea and and so i think it's um we've we've set things up where um professors are praised for things that aren't necessarily valued with by pastors or pastors are praised for things that aren't really things that would be valued in the academy so i think if we can align the um the goals better or the uh what counts as success better we may have more of a collaboration i was thinking for example on the how do professors um how how are they rewarded in you know moving up in rank and that kind of stuff? Well, it certainly wouldn't be writing for the average person in the pew. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. just not so. Until you get uh, tenure and full professor, which is going to be fifteen twenty years, there there's not an incentive in most of the academy to write that way. And so you, you and then once you have that, well, you've had twenty years of footnoting. So. To then shift gears, it, it's just, it, it, there's, to say nothing, I'm sure there is also a bit of a snobbery in the academy, um, knowing the ancient languages and just that kind of thing that has not helped along the way. Um, so uh, those would just be a few of my thoughts where, yeah. you know, social media, I think helps in that we can now have like a podcast where Serene, a practitioner and me, uh, you know, New Testament professor uh, talk about things that matter in the in the church and in women's lives buttressed by solid theology and biblical studies but applied in areas where you know where the I don't know how to say it rubber meets the road so I think actually the social media podcasts YouTube that kind of stuff might provide ways for um, for there to be collaboration that you're talking about.
2: Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate your perspective in that, too, because it's also, I think, speaking from the pastor side, um, there's a hunger for that, um, that theology and that, you know, that learning. And then there's also the the practical realities of how many things. And so I, I feel like sometimes what the barrier is exactly what you're saying. Most pastors don't have the time to wade through scholarly works in that sense and they're they're looking for the what can i bring to my congregation um but the more we you know the more we explore those kind of things or can develop those kind of things i i you know i i realize i realize where you teach and i don't mean to be the poster child for this but to me seminary now has been fantastic
1: yeah exactly I, it's a-
2: Mm-hmm. I think I'm like the poster child for seminary now. I've probably watched more of those video series than anyone else, but but it's it's almost like being able to hear from these scholars but in bite-sized pieces that I have time for. Right. And and the way that that then helps shape some of my thinking, and my theology and and then what I'm doing with the teaching team has been super helpful. So, yeah, I think I it'd be great for us to figure out more avenues for that to come together.
0: That's great. Thank you to both of you and listeners. I promise we didn't plan this, but you can go check out Seminary now for yourself. We actually have a code just for you, Alabaster, our listeners, that will get you a discount and you can access some of those really helpful resources, including Lynn's course that went out this past year. So thank you for mentioning that, Tammy, because it is a really helpful resource. Uh, So as we close out today, uh, this has been such a rich conversation, and I would love for our listeners to have a chance to read more from you, Tammy, and hear from your wisdom and what you're processing. And you've actually begun to do that recently over this past year. You've been writing and sharing your thoughts on faith and theology over on your website. So uh, take just a moment, tell us a little bit about that endeavor, what you've been learning so far, what you're hoping to see happen um, over in that space.
2: Sure, thanks for asking about that. It's actually one of the things when I said I made the decision to step out of executive leadership is cuz uh writing and pursuing maybe some of that even publishing is something that I feel like is my heart's desire and a direction that God might be leading me and so it just felt like okay, if that's where I want to go, I need to start writing some stuff and putting it out there. <laughs> so uh that's why I started the blog uh, tamymelchine.com last year and if anybody wants to to support and encourage a teaching pastor from the Chicago suburbs, I'd encourage you to go and, and subscribe to that. But yeah, I'm just, I'm just taking some of things that I'm learning in, in scripture or things that I'm seeing, or maybe even, um, maybe even things that I want to say to our congregation, but in the context of not being the lead pastor, or not, be, not being that, but you know, I, it gives me an outlet to, to maybe craft some of those thoughts and share some of those thoughts. And so uh, yeah, so I started that a year ago, and so far I'm enjoying it. So thanks, Serene. Yes,
0: absolutely. I've loved reading it so far. So as we um, close out today, what as we look to the future, we've used the word imagination quite a few times today, and I think that's a beautiful way of of talking about this. So what are you most hopeful about um, as we expand our imagination, as we look to the future for women in ministry and in leadership?
2: Mm-hmm. It, I'm. It would definitely be. I, I think I mentioned this earlier. The young female leaders. I just feel like the talent that I see, the gifts that I see, but even more important, the heart that I see in so many young female leaders coming up. It gives me just great hope and, and in some ways too. I think because of you know, people like Lynn, people like Nancy Beach, people like. Others that have gone before there is uh, maybe some of these younger women aren't grown up with some of the hang ups and the the um the cautions and the, the fears that some of us had to work our way through and and so I just can't wait to see what happens as as their gifts are unleashed in in churches and in ministries and what kind of difference that makes in the kingdom so if you count yourself among one of those younger leaders. I just know that there's someone here in Chicago suburbs cheering you on and can't wait to see what God does through you.
0: Yes. Amen. Thank you, Tammy. Tammy and Lynn, it is just such an honor to be on this journey with both of you. So thank you for sharing your wisdom and your insights with us today. And Tammy, thanks for joining us on the Alabaster Jar. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this week's conversation, you can learn more about Tammy and subscribe to her newsletter at TammyMalchine.com. Thanks for supporting the work we are doing here on the Alabaster Jar podcast. Please subscribe, share, and join us here again next week for a brand new episode.